welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. So I got two stories for you before we jump into our, our message this morning. The first one is uh, from Jody and Lori. So I'm going to ask Jody and Lori if they would come up. And uh, as they're making their way up here, I'll give you the background on this. Uh, uh, Jody and I are in a life group together. Our life group meets uh, twice a month on, uh, in the afternoons. We, we ha- share a meal together and we're working through a, a book about uh, being formed in Christ-likeness together. Uh, and, and anyway, in the context of us just meeting together this week, Jody shared a story about something that had happened with her and Lori. And, um, and it, it really encouraged my heart. It was like, like, that was an awesome story. I thought we need to share that with the rest of the church as well. So, uh, this is Jody and Lori. Um, who wants to start? <laughs> Jody's going to start. Okay. Of course. I'm I'll let you start. <laughs> Um, thank you ha- for having us, Pastor Trevor. Um, now I'm kind of thinking, why did I share that in life group? <laughs> no, it's good. Um, I know. <laughs> um, you know that um, if you've been here, that Pastor Trevor has encouraged us to engage with our servers when we go out to restaurants. And so I've started doing that. Um, and Lori, Lori and I go out occasionally, frequently, often. <laughs> And so I've been starting to um, ask the server their name and ask them a little bit of about themselves, how long they've worked here, and you know, are they from Boise? And if not, where do they move from? And and um, it's it's been fun getting to know them. So um, Lori and I went out last week to lunch, and um, I did the same with this server. I asked her her name and chatted a little bit, and she brought our food. And um, I'm going to turn it over to you with what happened next. Well, it was later in the day. But okay. <laughs> you, you prayed over the food. Oh, that, yeah. Okay. Well, then, yes. Okay. Okay, thank you. Obviously, I'm not comfortable up here, so um, be myself. Um, so she brought our food, and uh, she asked Jody if she wanted more coffee. And she said, sure. And so she went to leave and get our coffee. And um, actually, I should preface this with that um, the 40 days of prayer really spoke to me. Um, So this wasn't just, I just jumped in all of a sudden and was able to do this. Um, And Lord, in my life group, just been praying for boldness, that I could just speak out for the Lord and be Jesus to our community. Well, then with the 40 days of prayer, we prayed for the city and the community and the nation, and my heart really got stuck on um, the city. So I'd been praying for the city and in our community, and um, then we had stories last time, and Willie, I think it was Willie, that shared how he was praying for, would pray for the servers, just offer prayer for the servers, and it popped into my mind, well, I can do that. And um, so just left that. So we, we actually went out Tuesday. Usually we go out on Sundays after church, but it was Tuesday. So it was shortly after that message and we were celebrating Jody's birthday. And so that morning during my quiet time, the Lord said, you're going to pray for your server today. 
And I went, okay, Lord, no, just. And so when we were there at the, at the restaurant celebrating, completely forgot that. I was celebrating my friend. We were in the restaurant having a good time. And so the food came and she left to get coffee. And so in my spiritualness, I went, uh-oh, I better make this fast. She's going to be back with coffee. <laughs> so we bowed our heads and we prayed. And I didn't rush through it. And God went, no, you just take your time. And so I, when I looked up, there she was. And I guess Jody could see her out of, the, out of the corner of her eye, but I couldn't see her. She was just standing back, just, just waiting on us, holding the coffee. And I looked up and I said, oh, that was so kind of you to do. And she said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm so used to prayer in this place. There's 90 men that come in the morning, I forget what day, that, that pray and have a group. And they open like at 5.30 in the morning and the, the men come and pray. And she said, I don't know much about prayer, but I know it's good. And I said, oh, yes, it is. And I said, and then I just was like, the Holy Spirit took over because I didn't know what was coming out of my mouth. And it was just like, well, is there anything we can pray for you about? And she goes, well, as a matter of fact, yes. And she shared with us um, needs with her son. And it just spoke to this mama's heart because I had gone through similar circumstances with my son. And so it just in the next breath, it came so natural. I said, well, can we pray for you now? And without hesitation, it was just like, came out. I was like, whoa, that's not me. But I didn't second guess myself. And she, and she said, sure. And it was like, whoa, and this is happening. And she came over. Jody and I were sitting on the table like this. She came around Jody and kneeled down between us. Between us. Yes. And it was just like, wow. And so we just both laid our hands. And don't ask me what I prayed. Because it was just, I just spoke about, and Jody, Jody couldn't hear me, so who knows what God said to her, <laughs> but it was what, it's what God, what that woman needed, and then we were such a tag team, because then after the prayer, she stood up, and um, Jody, and like Jody always does, started asking her about, you know, built that relationship, and in my head, in my head, it was card. I've got the, this guy, the girl's got to get to church. And so I'm digging, I forgot about her and just started digging in my purse for the card and was, as Jody was the sharing, card. the vineyard card that Pastor gave us to pass out. And um, of course, it was at the bottom, so I had to dig a, a, a <laughs> bit, but um, then handed it to her and shared that she had been, well, you, you can tell the story that what she shared, that she had been with her mom and, or no, oh. maybe that's, yeah. Yeah. That that um, she I know it's like, um, but she she shared with us that she had to go to another state for a couple of months while her mom was on hospice, and that you know she's got this going on with her son, and when she came back she just had a meltdown and couldn't work for a couple of months, and and so um, we just encouraged her with that and. What am I forgetting? Well, and just, yeah, and you gave her the card, and we invited her to the vineyard. So I don't know if she's here today, but if you are, welcome. <laughs> I love that story because on so many levels. But what I want, I want is to affirm the power of us even just coming together and sharing our stories, like that story happened partly because 
Lori it was here last week and heard Willie share his story about praying for people, and it encouraged her to do the same. And it's part of our life together is, is figuring out how do we navigate this world we live in? And part of it is we hear those stories and share those stories. It creates in us a capacity and a faith that we could step out and be ordinary people empowered by and filled with an extraordinary God. And that was, that was nothing less than a divine providence. Like God orchestrated that. I hope you recognize that. The way that all came about, that is God pursuing that, that lady, that waitress, because he loves her and wants her to know how much he loves her. And, and, and Lori and Jody got to be a part of it. So um, I thought that was awesome. All right, second story. Yeah, time for one more story? This one's a little bit different. This, is, uh, this one's about my strange say strange, relationship with the Catholic Church. Um, so here's the thing. I, I have a deep uh, respect and uh, appreciation for our Catholic brothers and sisters. And especially one of the aspects of the, the Catholic faith that I, that I really appreciate is the deep reverence that they have. When, I, when I'm in a Catholic environment, I experience this deep reverence for God that's different than what we have here. We tend to be more utilitarian, even with our buildings. And so our buildings don't speak of God's glory and radiance and transcendence. They speak of warehouse. <laughs> Which is, there's, there's a value to that too, ordinary people, right? But I love that. And so um, we have a, a, a great, wonderful family friend, long family friend, who is, um, who is a part of the Catholic Church. And about 15 years ago, at least, gave me access to their adoration prayer chapel at their church so that I could go in and, and sit in that environment and spend time just with God in prayer. And so if you don't know what an adoration chapel is, uh, at least theirs, it's a, it's a small reverent space, like just this beautiful space that's open 24-7, 365 days a year, every day, every minute, every hour, and it's always occupied. Okay, there is never not someone in there praying. With the idea that, you know, Jesus invited Peter and said, Peter, and this is in the garden. He said, Peter, could you not wait with me? Could you not watch one hour? And so people take one hour shift. It's a prayer watch and people are always there. This, I've never gone and had there not be somebody in there. I've gone at like weird hours of the morning and there's always at least one person in there praying. And so um, I go there, people, and I don't have a badge that says I'm not Catholic. I just show up and I've got that, the security code, so I get in. And every now and then, I think somebody has thought that I was there to take the next shift. And so there's times where I've opened my eyes and realized I'm the only one there, which means I can't leave until the next person comes. Like, I've got to take one for the team because I'm not going to break the, right? So <laughs> that said, this particular, this particular day, I was, I was at St. Mark's. It was a Saturday. I was, I was there. A part of my preparation for Sunday is just spending some significant time with the Lord in prayer about our upcoming Sunday. And so this was a Saturday and I was uh, at St. Mark's and I was praying for, the, uh, for our church. And um, I, had, I had my earplugs in, which, well, I don't always pray with my earplugs in, but when I'm there, I do because of Lip Lady. Um, Lip Lady is this wonderful saint who prays at the same time that I often pray on Saturdays. And she prays silently, but she moves her lips and she wears a lot of lipstick. And in the perfect acoustics of the Adoration Chapel, I can hear every smack. <laughs> and it's really distracting when I'm trying to pray. So now when I go to, 
to, to, to Adoration Chapel, I put in earplugs. So on this particular day, it's a Saturday, I've got my earplugs in, I've got my eyes closed, I'm deep in prayer with God, and all of a sudden there's a tap on my shoulder, which was a little bit startling, and because nobody interacts with each other, they just, everybody's there to pray, and it's very reverent and quiet. And there's a tap on my shoulder, and I look up, and there's this very large African priest in priestly robes standing there, and he's talking to me. And the whole thing was shocking. If, have you ever, um, have you seen Lost? The show Lost? Mr. Echo, if you think of Mr. Echo, when I replay this story, this was several years ago, when I replayed it in my mind, it was Mr. Echo that was standing there. And, and he's talking to me and, and I realize that he's saying something, but I can't hear the words. And then I realize, oh, it's because I have earplugs in. So I take out my earplug and I, I said, I'm sorry, what was that? And he said, there's too much blood of Christ for one man. Can you help me? And what I said was, Yes. What I thought was, I have no idea what you mean. <laughs> what, what does that mean? And I, now here's what, and so here's what I, I immediately thought, you know, I've seen, there's been times when, when mass gets over in the main sanctuary uh, and, and, they, and, they, and there's this processional where they come in and they, and they store the host actually in the adoration chapel. And so he'll come in with altar boys and, and they have to carry it all in. And there's this procedure. And I thought, well, probably, you know, there's no altar boys today. So I get to be the altar boy. And I, and I thought, yes, I, I'm your altar boy. I'm your huckleberry. So, um, so I get up and I follow him out. And there's four of us in the room and he taps two other people. So he leaves one person there because there's always one person praying in the adoration chapel. The other three of us, we leave the room with him. We follow him out single file. I'm in the second slot. So there's one, two, three, and we all follow him out. And all the, all the while I'm thinking, I don't know what's going to happen, what's about to happen here. And we get into this side room and I'm trying to see around the person in front of me to see what's happening. And, and what happens is, he, is the priest takes this large goblet of communion wine and holds it to, to number one's lips. And he takes a deep drink of the communion wine. And then there's some sort of exchange and there's some gestures and there's a blessing that's spoken this back and forth. And then I realize, oh, we're helping drink the communion wine because there's too much. And, and Catholics are very reverent about the body and blood. And, and in in a way that's, that they have a slightly different theological view of it than we do. They believe it's, it's literally becomes the body and blood. And so they're very reverent in the way they treat it. And so he's not just going to pour the excess out after mass is over. It has to be consumed. And I realize you want me to help consume it, but I, I, I'm suddenly in panic because I don't know the ritual. And, and here's the thing. I'm a pastor. You know, I've received communion hundreds of times. I've served communion hundreds of times but I don't know the right like order for the crossing and all that. And I don't know the blessing. And so and I'm panicking. And in retrospect, there's so many things I could have done. But what I did is I just stepped up and I took my spot and I closed my eyes and he put the cup to my mouth and I took a deep gulp of communion wine. And then I said a, a silent prayer of father, forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I slid out and let number three take my place. And then I went back to the adoration chapel. And then when I came back next week, the security code had been changed which was like, no, that part didn't happen. <laughs> but, you know, in retrospect, I thought, you know, dude, that's on you. You assumed. And you know what happens when you assume, you know? That makes a Catholic out of you and me. So, there you go. That brings us to our topic today. Today we're talking about communion. Specifically, we're going to be talking. I've had that story for years. I thought at some point that story is going to be helpful. I'm not sure if it's helpful or not, but I finally got it off my chest. Um, 
Today's topic and message is communion, specifically experiencing hope in communion. And as such, we are going to be receiving communion today, together today. If you're on campus, you should have gotten a little uh, communion as you came in the room. If you didn't, uh, you can raise your hand right now and, and our ushers will bring that around and make sure everybody's got one. So if you can bring that around. Additionally, uh, if you have some, a loved one who's maybe um, homebound right now or maybe in a facility where they can't be present on campus, you're welcome to take an extra one of these and take and serve communion to them. Uh, we're actually going to give some scriptures today that you could actually read those scriptures with them and, uh, and facilitate someone else receiving communion. So uh, those will be at the doors as you leave. You're welcome to take an extra and, and share it with somebody else. So if you're joining online, I would encourage you to, um, to, to don't create a crisis, but get what you have available to you, bread or crackers or juice or wine, and, and we're going to have a chance to actually do that today. So our practice as a church involves uh, a little bit less ritual um, than the way our Catholic brothers and sisters might receive communion. Uh, it's a little bit more informal. Uh, I'll say this, that um, we have no special class you have to go through in order to receive communion. Uh, and additionally, this is, you don't have to be a member of Vineyard Boise. Uh, communion is not about membership to a specific church. It's about membership in the body of Christ. And so regardless of where you've come from today, it's an open invitation but if you do receive communion today, and it's a choice, there's no expectation. But if you receive communion today, I, I think it's really important that you understand at some level what it means, why it is that you're taking it, why it is that you're receiving it. And, and there's layers of meaning. We're just going to touch on that today, specifically through the lenses of hope. That's this, we're, we're kicking off a seven-part series today on hope. And, um, and I think, you know, for some of you uh, receiving communion, this, is gonna, this may be the very first time you've ever received it. Uh, whether, again, maybe you're online and you're watching and, and you've never in a church environment received communion. Maybe you grew up in a Catholic environment and you never went through, through that process. Um, or maybe uh, you're, you're going to hear it in a different way than what you ever heard before and you're going to have a chance to receive it with new meaning. And so that may be you. There's others of us who maybe we've received communion a thousand times and today is, is about, it's a reminder. Uh, I think for some it's a reset. There's, we're actually going to look at why we're, we take this with, with some sort of frequency, with some sort of rhythm that we receive communion, because Jesus actually instructed us to do that and provided for us to do that. So we're going to look at that. Um, for those of you who've received communion a thousand times, I want to encourage you to have a soft heart and an opened spirit today to what God might prompt in you uh, Paul wrote to the Philippian church. The Philippian church was probably one of Paul's favorite churches that he had planted. And when he wrote to them, it was with great uh, affection. And one of the things he said to them is he said, some of the things I'm writing to you is repetition. I'm writing to you things that you already know. You've heard these things before. But to do so, is, it's not a problem for me. And it's actually a safeguard for you. There's a safety in you hearing things that you've heard before. And honestly, I believe that part of a, a, a of our life together as a faith community, as a, as a community of, of followers of Jesus, is being reminded of things that we've once known, maybe that we've drifted from. We come back to those things that we've heard before. Sometimes we hear them in a fresh way. And I believe that's part of what we're doing today. So we are going to be anchoring into the experience of hope over the next seven weeks, uh, experiencing hope, finding hope, sharing hope with others, as, as Lori and Jody shared about this week. Um, is all about hope. 
And the, this is all moving towards uh, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. That's going to be week seven. And on, uh, on week seven, we're going to be, a, be Easter Sunday. So we're going to be in the, the crucifixion and resurrection. Well, today, week one, we're also in the crucifixion and resurrection. Because this side of eternity, there is no hope apart from the gospel as represented in Jesus' death and his resurrection life. So to begin with, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 11 initially. So I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. If you've got an app, you want to look there. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 11. And this is a passage that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Um, and he was giving some instructions about communion and about, uh, you know, there's different Phrasing, depending on what your background is, communion, sometimes it's known as the Lord's Supper. Sometimes it's known as the Eucharist. There's different names for it, but it's all about it's the same, it's the same moment that Jesus walked his disciples through. And so we're going to be there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're just reading one little excerpt this morning. What I want to commend you to do is to uh, maybe later this afternoon, go and read the few paragraphs that came before where we're going to be. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, starting. I would encourage you to read maybe 10 verses above that and 10 verses after where we read because there's a whole context for what he's saying to them about communion. And it has to do with the way that they treat one another. That when we receive communion, it's, it's, there's an, very much at its core, it's about our relationship with God, but it also happens in community. And so it's also about the way that we see one another, the way that we treat one another. And Paul says it's very important that as we receive Christ's body and blood, that we pause to discern how we're viewing and treating and speaking about one another. The opinions in our heart, the judgments in our heart, it's all part of it. So we're not going to be there today, but um, we are going to be in 1123. So this is how it reads. Uh, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself, that on the night when he was betrayed, so here's the time context, On the very night, the eve of his crucifixion, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it in pieces and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. It's an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as, here's the, as often as you drink it, for every time, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. We're going to briefly look today at seven facets of communion that both awaken and sustain hope for followers of Jesus. And I want to show you, first of all, that these are all going to be R words. I took the, the liberty of arranging them around R words today, but there's, there's a rhythm or there's a repetition to receiving communion, which means this, there's, there's a couple sacraments that we practice as, as followers of Jesus. Uh, one is baptism and one's communion. These are kind of universal. There's other churches might, and movements might add other things, but, but this is pretty much universal to followers of Jesus, baptism and communion. Baptism is it's an initiation. Right? It's, it's something that you do once, but we don't you know, do communion or do baptism every time we get together. Like, okay, it's, you know, it's the first Sunday of the month. Let's everybody get baptized, right? We don't do that because it's, it's a sacrament of initiation. But communion's different. Jesus said, whenever you do this, as often as you do it, 
there's a, there's a rhythm to this. And he doesn't define it. He doesn't make it concrete. He doesn't say, do this once a week or do this once a month or do this once a year or do this on special occasions. He doesn't define it, but he says, you're gonna need to come back to this with some sort of rhythm. It's a repetition that's part of your life in between today and the second coming. So first of all, number one, rhythm. It's a repeated practice. Here's what Paul reminded the church that this sacrament given by Jesus on the very eve of his crucifixion was to be repeated repeatedly, practiced repeatedly between his resurrection and his return. So there's a time element. This happened on the, the eve of his crucifixion and Jesus say, you're gonna do this with some sort of regularity until I return. So in this gap in between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, this is to be a practice of Jesus' followers. Jesus' death and resurrection was the beginning of God's restoration. But here's what Jesus knew, that his followers that were there with him that night, they couldn't know, is that there was going to be a large gap between what Jesus initiated in this next few days and and when that was all brought to completion. At this point, we've been waiting for some 2,000 years. That's a big gap. Jesus knew that only his sacrificial death and his miraculous resurrection could give substance to his followers' hope that it won't always be like this. Here's what Jesus knew about those followers and about every subsequent generation of his followers, that we would be confronted with realities in our inner world and in our outer world, that we would need to be reminded that God was at work and he was going to finish what he'd begun. Let me just unpack that. I know as a Christian, there's times when I get discouraged about the state of my own life. There's times when I'm, I'm stuck in cycles. There's times when I'm dealing with regret or shame or, or a powerlessness to, to change things that I, I want to see changed in me. That can be pretty discouraging. Jesus said, this, this thing that you do between my first and second coming, it's going to awaken hope. It's going to preach the gospel to you. Sometimes the discouragement isn't about my interior life. It's about what's happening out there. And I see the state of our world. And I see the things that are happening and I think, oh God, this is, this is every, you know, everything's ruined. And I need the hope that Jesus has started something that he's promised to finish. And I live in between those two. We live in between those two. So secondly, Jesus told his followers that this would be a way of remembering. He said that in both passages. This, when you do this, this is remembering. So number two is remember. Remember, that word remember, it attaches the action of receiving communion to something that actually happened, to something that really actually happened. So so what gives substance to our hope when we, as Christians, we look around the world around us that's, that's, you know, incredibly discouraging at times, and we have this hope. What makes it, what gives it substance so that it's not just wishful thinking? It's that something has actually happened that has unleashed resurrection life in this world and that will be finished. So Jesus says, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember what my death and resurrection. Jesus' resurrection, we're, we're told that it was the first fruits. First fruits is, a, is an agricultural word that means that his resurrection was the first of many more to come. The first fruits of a crop were like, you know, whatever, whatever came in the harvest, the very first thing, that, the first appearance of, of fruit or wheat, whatever the, whatever the harvest was, the very first part of that was indicative of what the rest would be like. And we're told that Jesus' resurrection body, his his resurrection eternal life was the first fruits of many to come. 
And so there's hope for us because we recognize that, that what Jesus experienced in that empty tomb is, is coming for us as well. We're told to remember that. We're told that, that there's, there's an assurance that that, that that really happened. We're told in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus resurrected Jesus, who people in the first century saw crucified undoubtedly. They knew that he was dead, killed on a, a Roman execution cross. They saw him alive. They saw him there was individuals that saw him alive. There was small groups that saw him alive. And at one point, there was a group of over 500 people at once that saw him. And they were so persuaded that they had seen death reversed and, and eternal life, resurrection life unleashed in this world that they became reckless with their earthly lives to the point that, 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 they, that they weren't really that concerned. They, they knew this stuff was happening to them. Bad stuff could happen to them sickness, disease, death, persecution. And they were kind of reckless with it because they knew Jesus is the first fruits. I'm going to have that. Do you see how it's important that we're remembering something that really happened? Additionally, Jesus' instructions to remember were not just about the event, but they were about what those events meant. You know, the first century church, they experienced things that are not that unlike what we're experiencing today. Maybe the, the names are different, the, the viruses are different, but they experienced pandemic in the first century. They experienced tyrants who, uh, who oppressed others, who devastated others, who were narcissists. They experienced all that. Just read about the history of the Roman world, Nero, Domitian, people like this. They experienced tyranny. They experienced global fear, experienced pandemics. And they moved towards it in love. The Christians were radical in their day because when everybody else was fleeing people who were, who were caught in the pandemic, the Christians moved towards them in love. Not because they knew they were totally immune to it. They prayed that God would protect them. But they knew that they were supposed to move in love towards people that were sick and, and care for them. And that there was eternal life. Whatever happens in this life, there's eternal life on the other side for them. But communion is not just about an event. It's about the meaning of that event, which is communion is about the gospel. We, we receive these elements regardless of the form that we receive them in. It's a retelling of the gospel, which is good news. And so I just want to review briefly what is the good news of the gospel? Because we need, some of us need to, to circle back to it. Some of us need to hear it for the first time. And so here's the good news embodied in one single paragraph. This is Titus 2, 11 through 14. Again, this is Paul writing to a church. This time he's writing to the church in Crete. And he, he contains the entire gospel in one succinct paragraph. If I could encourage you, if you again, if you're in your Bible, if you have your Bibles today, turn there. Uh, if you have an app, I would encourage you to turn to Titus 2 and highlight this paragraph. Um, I would encourage you to commit this to memory because this is the entire gospel encapsulated into one dense paragraph. I, this is a part of my prayer life. I pray through this paragraph regularly because it, there's, it's a reminder of the gospel and, and God keeps showing me deeper aspects that I haven't yet considered. We're going to look at that today briefly. Maybe let's, can we read it out loud? If you're, if you're uh, here on campus, let's look at the version on screen because it's ESV. That's the version I memorized it in. So ESV. So here we go. Let's read it out loud. 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is God's word. That is the gospel. Church, we could stop there. And if I could invite you to put down roots there, there's, you know, if we consider ourselves sheep to Jesus' shepherd, there's good grazing right there. You can spend a lifetime grazing on that. But we're going to unpack that a little bit, looking at how the grace that we're, that, we're, that we're talking about here is connected to the hope that we receive in communion. So first of all, communion is, is a means of receiving that grace described there personally. Receiving. So Jesus' death, here was what Paul said in that scripture. He said, salvation has appeared in the person of Jesus, bringing salvation for who? All people. Everyone. People on every religion, race, political spectrum. Salvation is available for all, but it's received personally. It's, it's, it's a gift that's there. It's a free gift, but it's appropriated and it's received personally. One of the ways we receive that is through communion. What, is, what does it mean? What's the salvation mean? It means that we can exchange our sin for his forgiveness, our unrightness with God for his rightness with God. We can exchange our death, our physical death that's pending. Death rate's hovering right around 100%. It's coming. We can exchange our physical death and our spiritual death. When, when God describes death in, in the Bible, it's not just physical death. It's inclusive of that. But he told Adam and Eve that the day that they ate of the fruit of the garden, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, on that day they would die. And it wasn't talking about physical death. It was talking about a spiritual death, a spiritual separation. And Jesus, by his death and resurrection, he somehow bridged that gap between mankind and God. But it's received personally. It's appropriated personally. What he did on behalf, he did on behalf of all as an act of grace. And in communion, we receive that. Additionally, here's, here's something that I think is really important. When we receive communion, we're receiving it personally. We're saying that what this, this event that we're remembering, what Jesus did when he offered up his life, it wasn't taken from him. He offered up his life in love and he did that for me. I needed him to do that for me. And I'm receiving that life. So when we receive it, we're taking it in personally saying, I needed him to do this for me but we're instructed to receive it with others whenever possible. There, there's exceptions where people receive communion, personal environment, but by its very nature, it's supposed to be received with others because this is our what? It's our common union. And when we receive this, we're recognizing not only did Jesus do this for me, but he did it for them, for the person on the other side of the political spectrum, for the person on the other side of the theological spectrum, and that creates a softness in us. 
It has a way of, of bringing us together when, when, we're, when we're divided, even as followers of Jesus. We go on to verse 12. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. It says that we're, we're reminded that the gospel is that God is training us in between the first and second coming. He's training us to leave a way of living that's independent of him and turn towards a way that's pleasing to him. That we're inviting his empowering grace to be retrained for the kind of life that he's made us for. And so the fourth act of, of receiving hope, it's, it's retraining. In communion, there's a pause. I think properly done. There's a pause where we pause and say, God, would you search me and know my heart? Would you try me and know my thoughts? Would you show me those aspects of my life that are ungodly that I've been walking in, thinking about, stuck in, reacting to? Would you show me those aspects of my life that you want to place your finger on today for the purpose of forgiveness and for the purpose of healing? and empowering me for something different. Would you show me what that's like? God, there's things where I'm stuck. Would you give me the grace to choose godly living, not to be enslaved to sin or anything else anymore? In communion, we remember that this is a work that he does that we cooperate with. We have a part to play. We cooperate, we receive his grace, we ask for his grace, but there's things that only he can do. That's why he had to come and die. And surrender to his will, his training, he transforms us to the very core of our being. In communion, we remember that's a process that has begun and it's still going on and will be completed. Verse 13 says, we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel reminds us that we're living inside of a story that's not yet finished. We're living with hope that the same Jesus who was resurrected from the dead will return to finish the rescue he began. And so we regularly retell, we reenact the story of his death because you know what happens to hope? This is right here. We're, we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hope leaks. You can be filled with hope today and abandon all hope tomorrow, can't you? I can do that. I can do that in a moment. Hope leaks and we need to come back to being refilled with the story that we're living inside of. That we're waiting for the manifestation of his coming, that the one who gave his life, who witnesses saw resurrected is coming again, he promised. And we need to circle back to that and say, okay, God, yes, things are really messed up in our world. And there's crisis that ripple out and every new crisis ripples out to create more crisis. Something's happening in Ukraine that by itself is devastating and it's rippling out to create more crisis, isn't it? And we come back to hope. Oh, that's right. That's not the whole story. God, you're writing a story and we're in the middle and we're remembering, remembering that he's, that he's still doing it. So there's a reviving of hope. Number five is reviving of hope. It's not always gonna be like this. So, when we receive communion, God, would you awaken hope in me that it won't always be like this? Whatever the this is, that this might be something that's part of your inner world, something you're walking through in your life or in the life of your immediate family or household, or maybe the circumstances of our world. 
but it won't always be like this. Reviving hope. Verse 14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. When we remember and retell the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, we remind ourselves that his death was the price that he paid to purchase our freedom. That word redeem, that's a word that comes, it's associated with the slave trade, the slave industry in the first century. And to redeem a slave was to pay the price to secure their freedom. And so in saying that Jesus redeemed us, he's saying that we were enslaved, mankind was enslaved to sinful nature, to sinful choices, to rebellion, independence against God. And that created enslavement. And he rescued us from that. We're being redeemed. In communion, we're reminded that our freedom from being enslaved to sin and death came at the cost of Jesus' death. And that was a cost that he paid lovingly, willingly, gladly. When I pause, when we pause to consider that Jesus, this represents your body that was broken for me, your blood that was poured out for me, I recognize that you did that out of love. And you know what happens when we pause to recognize that? Something happens. There's a grace that softens our heart. It's like a tenderizer to our hearts that make us want to live a way that's pleasing to him. Our, our, our human nature, our unredeemed human nature says, I want to do what I want to do and I don't care about anybody else, especially a higher power. I just want to do what I want to do. And when we recognize that our creator gave his life for us, it has a way of tenderizing our hearts and saying, oh God, if you did that for me, then I want to live for you. You died for me, I want to live for you. Would you help me? Would you give me the grace? Would you change my heart again? That brings us to our final facet of hope experienced in communion. It's in this verse, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. In the act of receiving communion and retelling the gospel story together, we're reminded that here's what God's doing. Part of the story in between his first and second coming is he's, he's, he's shaping a people and he's reforming. He's remaking a people who will be zealous for the kind of life that he's made us for. This is, this is what we're called to. We're called to not just do this individually, we're called to do it together. That's why we need to come together and share the stories. When somebody steps out in faith and God does something through it, we share those stories because we go, okay, that's, there it is. That, that's, that's it. That's what we're after. God is redeeming for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We're going to turn now to not just talking about communion, but we're actually receiving it. And so our worship team is going to come back. And, and uh, I just want to soften the lights here in the room a little bit because this is a moment of reverence. And I want to, I want to give you the opportunity to, to do this in a way that really honors the heart of communion. As we prepare to do that, I, I want to ask, first of all, if there's anybody here who's going to be receiving communion for the first time, in the sense of maybe you've received it, I, uh, you may have grown up around church environments, Christian environments. You may have received communion because it was offered and it was just what everybody was doing. But have you ever really understood that what Jesus, what it represents is Jesus doing something for you that can only be received in faith as, as a, a gift? 
And in that, we're surrendering our life to him. If you've received communion, but it was a ritual that was part of, you know, just something that your family walked you through or somebody, part of the group that you were with walked you through. If you've received communion, but you never understood that it was personally appropriating God's grace and forgiveness in your life, we just want to take a moment to just acknowledge that. Because we, like, I can tell you my story in brief. Like, I grew up in the church, but it wasn't until I was 18 years old that I actually surrendered my life to God. I knew about God. I knew, I knew a lot about the Bible, but I hadn't surrendered my life to him. So let me ask you this. Do you know, do, do you know there was a, a defining moment or maybe it's a defining season when you surrendered your life to God? And so that receiving communion is not the first time, it's just, it's a circling back. It's a, it's a reminder of what God has done and, and a, re, a recentering say. But if it's the first time, then I want to take a moment to, 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 to help you with a prayer. Or maybe this is a coming back to Jesus for you. And I'm not talking about coming back as measured in weeks, but, but maybe there was a time when you genuinely surrendered your life to Jesus, and then you've been, you've been off doing your own thing for a while. Maybe that while is measured in years, maybe it's measured in decades. But something brought you back here today. Maybe you're online. Maybe you're here on campus. But something brought you back today and you're saying, Jesus, I want to come back to you. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to identify yourself right where you are, just by raising your hand. If you're on campus, you can raise your hand. If you're online, you can type that into the chat bar, the chat feature, whichever platform you're on. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand for just a moment so I can pray with you. See a hand? See a hand back here? Church, we, many of it, we've all, if, if there's not a lot of hands in this room, it's because most of us have at some point done this. The thing that I'm inviting you to do courageously, we've done this. I did this. Grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, and it's received pro. A, it's appropriated, it's received individually. So if you've got your hand up, I'm just gonna ask you to, to put it, if you put it back down, would you put it up for just a second? I'm gonna ask people around you, fellow believers, brothers and sisters, would you, if there's somebody near you, would you place your hand on their shoulder? We're just gonna take a moment to pray. I'm gonna lead this prayer. And if you're online, if you raised your hand online in some way, um, I'm gonna pray this for you. If you can agree with me in this, then this is a, this is, this is a prayer today where this, what you did for all mankind, I want to be true for me. So that when I receive communion in a minute, that there's a grace that's released in my life. So if you mean this hard in your prayer, if you surrender to God right now, everything changes. This is the beginning of a brand new story in your life, a new direction. Heavenly Father, thank you that you did not abandon your creation. You did not abandon me, but you've been pursuing me. And Jesus, today I recognize that what you did 2,000 years ago on the cross and in that empty tomb, that I can receive that in faith, that I can surrender my life to you. And instead of spiritual death and physical death, I can have eternal life that begins today. 
Jesus, thank you for doing that for me. I, I surrender to you and I want every aspect of your new life in me. I know there's so much more that I can't even begin to comprehend. None of us can comprehend fully what you've done and what it means. But I give you my unqualified yes with the rest of my life. I ask for the empowering grace now to be transformed, to, to, be, to enter into this training of renouncing ungodly ways of living and choosing instead a way that's pleasing to you, that reflects your image. Holy Spirit, would you come inside of me and would you begin a brand new work? Would you take hold of me and and cause me to be a person joining with other brothers and sisters who is in fact zealous for your life? Change my appetites, my desires, my longings, change my views, my opinions, my judgments. You can have it all, Jesus, because you gave me your all. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's receive communion. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put that scripture that we've walked through today, the gospel, back up. Oh, before I do that, let me say one more thing. We are having a baptism next Sunday, and especially for those of you who just prayed again Maybe you were online or maybe you were here on campus, but um, we're going to have a baptism next Sunday right here during the service because there's hope that's experienced in baptism. Baptism is a sacrament of initiation. So if it's, it's if you're a first time being baptized or maybe again, you've been running and you're coming back to Jesus and you need to experience what baptism means, I'm going to encourage you to go to our website to this page, vineyardboys.org slash baptism. There's a PDF there that you can read that, that explains the layers of meaning of baptism. There's a, a video to watch that, that unpacks baptism that's really helpful. And there's a place where you can sign up to be baptized next Sunday. So um, next, it's going to be a party. It's going to be a party, church. Right now, though, I'm going to put that, that text back up, that Titus 2. And I'm going to stop talking because I've been talking a lot. I'm going to invite you to just hold that communion in your hand, to read that passage and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. There's something in that passage for you. It's just for today. It's not for next time you take communion. It's for today. There's a daily bread there for you. So let's just make some space to receive that. find you may find that your heart's filled with thankfulness because you recognize that you are living inside of this story you may be finding your heart filled with brokenness because you recognize you've not been living according to the story though you're called to 
When you're ready, I want to invite you to go ahead and receive the communion. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will finish. Today in faith, we receive that provision. We remember the story of what you did. And Lord, as we receive it, would you awaken hope in us, awaken passion in us, awaken faith we can love. We entrust ourselves to you and ask that you would finish the good work you begun. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a glorious sound, all the crinkling of foil and plastic I just heard in here. I thought, I've never loved that sound, but I love it today. Church, um, would you stand with me? And, um, we're going to do kind of a, a soft close today because I think there's, there's people who would like prayer. And so we're going to invite our ministry team to be available just around the, the screens on both sides of the room. If you're online, you can send a prayer in to the online or to the email address we'll put up there. Um, so we're, we're going to have a kind of a, a soft close and just invite you, if, especially if you got kids, go rescue well, go rescue Kenny. Don't rescue your kids. Rescue Kenny. Pastor Kenny. <laughs> um, and, and the rest of the team over there. And, uh, but we're going to close with uh, just some availability of, of prayer. And also um, the worship team is going to lead us in that song once again. And just a reminder, we do have a worship night. This, is it Wednesday night? It's Wednesday night. Is it in here? Or the, it's in here. Okay. Right in here. Wednesday night, 630. All right. If you're going to go, if you need to go, Go make the invisible God visible. And if you can stay, stay in worship. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.